church family, let me just start and just say thank you to those that have been praying faithfully for our missionaries. Um, he's one among many that we get to, to support and see the good news of Jesus Christ go from neighborhoods to nations. And I'm grateful for you as a church family that grab those prayer cards back there at our missions focus wall and pray faithfully uh, for those people. Because we want to give you updates. We want to let you see some of the answers to the prayers that you're praying and just love what Jason shared there. This is a spiritual issue. It's not a Ukraine's versus, versus Russians. It really is a spiritual issue. And so we're praying for both believers in Russia as well as the believers in Ukraine. And so just continue to pray for that. Um, and if you are new here, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, like, like we're starting here, yes, uh, because this is where we as a church stand, because this is where God calls us to stand, to be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And so, yes, we do believe that, that our God is the God of Cabarrus County as well as North Carolina, but he's much, much bigger than that. He's the God of the nations and the ends of the earth. And so uh, we want to worship and praise him. We want to gather together and, and open his word and allow it to speak to us. And so let me just say, if you are a guest, this is just a glimpse of who we are. We care about our neighborhoods. We care about the nations. And it's because of what God's word says to us and what God's word calls us to do. So each week what we do is we gather together. We open up God's word, allow it to speak to us, comfort us, shape our lives, change us, convict us of areas that we need conviction. And so I hope you have a copy of God's Word. Go ahead and make your way to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is where we're going to be. We've been doing this series, just started it last week, Everyday Worship. And if you missed last week, it was the start of the series, and so it's important you get that one because that's foundational to everything else. It's about the worthiness of our Lord, the worthiness of the one who calls us to worship Him in every day of our lives. Uh, we have to, we need it uh, for our life to be shot through with eternal purpose, and so what I want us to see today is that God's word is continuing to prime that pump for us in very tangible ways for us allowing us to see him and his worthiness, but also how he's calling us to take that good news from neighborhoods to nations. And then in the weeks to come, we'll get really practical about what that looks like in your workplace, what that looks like in your marriage, singleness, all those different things we'll kind of cover in the days ahead, even rest, which is a good one, right? All right, so Psalm 96, um, we'll start in verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter. This is what it says to us. Oh, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord and bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It, is, it will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field extol and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and the peoples in his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. And as we are gathered here today and we gather around your word, may you comfort us, may you change us, may you challenge us as we worship you. At the same time, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us of our sins. You forgive us when we become self-centered, when we focus more on ourselves than your work, your mission, your way. Lord, turn our hearts to you today. Help us to hear what you would desire for us to hear. And as we hear it, Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to do it to the glory of your name. Now let me invite you in this moment of, of, of silence to pray something similar. Pray that God would speak to you today to comfort and challenge and convict you through his word. Take a moment and pray and ask him to do that in your heart, in your life right now. Pray. And then also would you pray for me as I walk us through God's word. It's his beautiful word that I would be able to communicate it beautifully to the glory of his name. Would you pray for me now? Lord, we ask that you would help us to realize all the glories in this psalm today. And as we relish in that glory, help us to look to you and worship you. Lord, heal our hearts. Give us hearts of passion and fervor for you, for your name's sake. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, a few, few years back, uh, actually out in the Austin, Texas area, there was this lady named Laura Young who was shopping at a local Goodwill. And while she was there, she stumbled across this bus that you see in the picture here. And she looked at it and she's like, that looks kind of neat. Um, she saw the price tag on the side of his face, just kind of stuck on there, uh, $34.99. And she's like, that's not that expensive. I guess at Goodwill, I'll go ahead and, and buy it. She goes to, to pick this bust up and it's 52 pounds. It's, it's extremely heavy. She's like, oh my goodness, this is heavy. Looks kind of cool. And so she put it in the seatbelt, as you can see in the picture there, uh, attached it in her car and she gets it home. She starts to do a little research on it, and she's like, man, this thing looks really old. Uh, it looks really valuable. And so she had a specialist come in and look at it and found out that this bust um, was actually of a Roman military leader, and it was over 2,000 years old. And she got it for $34.99 at the local Goodwill, right? Like, that's what she got. And it was crazy. As the, the, the specialist started to do research, He's like, man, where did this come from and, and, and what's the history behind it? And so they did this digital database study and they found that the last time this bus was even seen was in Germany in 1930. And when the specialists started to evaluate it and look at it, the value was going higher and higher and higher. And this is a priceless piece of art. Now, when Laura found out that this, this priceless piece of art that she got for $34.99 at her goodwill was, was so valuable, she wanted to share it with everybody. And so literally she gets excited about this and they start to reach out and, and different news organizations start to hear about this. NBC, ABC, Fox News, CNN, USA Today, and more all got around this and started doing interviews with her and finding out about this like, oh my goodness, this, this worth and value of this bus that you got for $35, this is incredible. 
And Laura got excited to share the, the worth of this with so many different people that it didn't stop there with the news. She's like, you know what, I want to I lend this out. And she gave it to the local museum in San Antonio, an art museum, where all these different people could come and look at this valuable piece of art, this glorious piece of art. And it didn't even stop there. This next year, it's actually going to go back to Germany. It's going to be put on display there because she wanted the nations to be able to come and see this amazing work of art. Now, I tell you that this morning because that's what's happening in Psalm 96. This psalmist has looked and found the great glorious worth of God. And then he's like, I've got to tell other people about it. Like, let's, let's gather a group of people together and let's talk about how amazing this God is. And then he's like, it can't stop there. There's so much passion and excitement over the value and the worth of God. He's like, we've got to tell everybody. We've got to tell the nations. We've got to let everybody know of the great glory and worth of our God. And the same will be true of us if we have seen the great worth of God, the great glory of God. If the greatness and the grace of Jesus has gripped your heart, it will move you to share that with other people. In this passage, that's what we see. We see it in two different ways. Two points I want us to grasp this morning. One, we see it as we gather together. And second, when the grace of Jesus Christ has gripped our heart, the glory of Jesus Christ, it will make us go. So let's gather and let's go. First, our everyday worship is strengthened as we gather. Our everyday worship is strengthened as we gather. Now, I love this passage because... At least the way my mind works is I love things very compartmentalized. Like it just makes sense for me, right? Like I want verses 1 through 5 to be about this point, and I want verses 7 through 13 to be about this point. Like that's just how my mind works. But the psalmist, as he writes this, he's, he's entangled this, this idea of gathering together to glorify God and going. He's, he's wove those two things together all throughout this passage. And so I want you to see that. This isn't just one point or one verse, this is actually bled in through all of these verses, this idea of gathering together. The clearest is probably in verse 8, where it says, Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. His courts. That's the outer part of the temple where people would gather together and they would sing and they would worship God. And this is a call for us to gather together and worship God. But it doesn't even stop there. If you look back in verse 6, there's a call to, to his sanctuary where the presence of God would dwell, where people would gather together and rally around the, the presence of the Lord, the greatness and the glory of God, and worship him. And then in verse 7, it's really clear using this plural language. It says, ascribe to the Lord. We'll get to that in a minute, what that means. But ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. This is a corporate act. This is a corporate gathering together. Another way of thinking of this is the psalmist is not saying that he's in a coffee shop with earbuds in his ears singing to the Lord. He's not driving down the road singing a song to the Lord. Those are good things, but that's not what he's talking about here in Psalm 96. He's talking about the gathering together, the corporate idea that we worship God. And as we gather together, it is strengthened, strengthening of our faith for his glory and his way. You see, Christianity isn't intended to be a solo journey. There's a gathering of God's people that fuels our faith and it glorifies God. And I know that you believe this or you wouldn't be here this morning. 
If you didn't believe that the gathering together of God's people was important, then you would just take Sunday mornings off. And so let me just encourage you and commend you. I'm glad that you're here. This is a good thing. But we also have a temptation within our heart to pull back, pull away from the gathering together of the body of God. We just do. You know, I've heard people say, maybe you've heard people say things like, I don't really need church to be a Christian. Now, I don't know what Bible or book, rather, that you're reading, but if you read this Bible, you've got to disagree with that statement. God, over and over again, reminds us that we need Christian community around us. We need one another to strengthen one another, to build one another up, to help us when we fall down. Like, we need this. I mean, to say that I don't need church in order to be a Christian is, is saying, well, I don't need a team to be a baseball player. Man, you cannot play baseball by yourself. I mean, if you, if you go out and say I'm a baseball player, but you don't have a team, all you are is a guy with tight pants and a piece of lumber in your hand, right? There's nothing you're going you're gonna to hit a ball and then run out there and pick it up and run back and hit another ball. Like, no, you need a, a team. You need to be a part of a team. And the same with saying you're a Christian. You're a part of the body of Christ is how God's word talks about it. We need one another. I've also heard people say I'm not really a part of the, a church, a local church, because man, I've just been hurt in the past. And church hurt is real. I, I, I get it. Being hurt by the church is, is real but because the church is full of sinners. I know that because I work at one. We as a staff, we're full of sinners, right? Like we are. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to let one another down. This is just going to happen. I hope it never happens intentionally. But it just is going to happen at times. But I beg of you, do not let the fact that a follower of Christ let you down abandon the church of Christ. Don't do it. I mean, can you imagine if that's what happened with the disciples? What if the disciples looked and they're like, man, Judas, look what he did. He just betrayed and abandoned all of us? Like, man, I'm out. Like, he, man, he, he just totally hurt me. I'm totally done with Christianity. What if the other disciples would have looked at Judas's life and be like, well, I'm going to deconstruct my whole faith and tear it apart because, like, Judas messed up. No, that's not what they did. That's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to lean into the church, not away from the church. I mean, look at Peter. Peter messed up royally multiple times. But he, even in his, his struggle, even in his denial, he didn't fall away from Christ. He ends up leaning back in and being forgiven And I'm thankful that God uses screw-ups like Peter because it gives me hope for myself, right? And hope for you. You see, this is what God is calling us to do, not to pull back, but to continue to lean in together, together. And so I'm not not downplaying your church hurt. I'm not saying church hurt isn't real. I'm just saying that God's word is extremely clear that in the midst of that, you can't pull away from Christian community. God has called us to gather together, and that gathering should strengthen and to fuel our faith in him. So as we gather, what are we supposed to do? What is God calling us to do when we gather together? Well, two things in this passage, and it would be a long, long, long list and a long, long, long sermon if we went through everything in the Bible that God has called us to do as a church. But God's word shapes what we do on Sunday mornings and in our small groups throughout the week, what we do. But here in Psalm 96, just two things that he's going to mention to us. One is that we sing. We sing. He says it three times in the first two verses. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. This is, first of all, telling us the direction in which we sing primarily. We're singing to the Lord. And as we sing to the Lord, yes, we hear those words and it stirs our heart with emotion. But God has called us to sing to him. 
That's the reason why we put the words on the screen. You guys realize that, right? The primary reason we put the words on the screen is so that we can read them and know that it would be truth and to open up our lips to praise God, to sing to the one who has redeemed us, our gracious Redeemer, the one who breaks our chains and removes our guilt and our shame. We're singing because God has rescued and redeemed us, right? We, we do this, and, and so three times he's going to tell us, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. He's calling us as a congregation to lift our voices and sing to him. This was at the previous church I worked at. This, this lady who had not grown up in church, not familiar with church, comes in, and she got this deep uh, theological truth that we find in this passage on our first Sunday in church, which I hope, if this is your first Sunday in church, you see it too. She comes up after the service, and she says, hey, I, I loved um, those, those karaoke, karaoke slides on the back. Like those karaoke slides were amazing. Like I could see the words up there. And she's like, my, my only thing is I would ask, can we get the, the little ball that jumps um, from word to word so like we can, we can follow along? And there's some humor in that, but you know what? There's, there's great theology in that. Like she knew in that moment, we put those words on the screen in order to sing. She knew it. That's a theological truth that God's word is calling us to do, that we would open up our lips and we would sing and worship him. And it says here too, he encourages us not just to sing, but to sing a new song to the Lord. And so yes, there's some Sundays we come in here and we're like, I don't, I don't know that song, but I see the words and those are true words about my Messiah, about my Savior, my Redeemer. And so I can open up my lips and I can sing, right? Sing to him a new song. And this idea of new song doesn't mean that every week we come in here, Brandon changes the lyrics and everything's different, so you have to learn a new song every week. This idea of a new song is, is uh, refreshment, this uh, refreshing, a new, fresh song that we've seen before the Lord. That our hearts, even if we've lifted up these words of this song for decades, when we sing it again, it's coming from a, a new, fresh passion in our heart for these truths. This is what it means by singing a new song. It's kind of like the idea of like, I can tell you I eat a banana every day for breakfast, but it's not the same banana, right? It's a new, it's a fresh banana that I eat. The same for us as we sing, we sing a new song. And let me just encourage you with this, the idea of singing to the Lord and specifically singing a new song. I caution you to watch your heart and why you sing certain songs and not others. And I say this because I see it in my own heart. There's some songs that, that I sing and I'm like, oh man, this song has such a great memory. I remember singing this at its worship service years ago and like, oh, just a great memory rushes back in my mind and it's a good thing. But what happens is I start to sing to the memory instead of sing to the Messiah. And let me just caution you, don't fall in love with the memory of a song. Fall in love with the truth of the song and the Savior that you're singing to. Guard your heart, guard your lips to sing a new song that's fresh before the Lord. And the reason why we sing to him and the reason why we sing a new song to him, this passage tells us because he is great and greatly to be praised. Amen. He's great and greatly to be praised. Our worship, listen to this, our worship should be proportionate to its object. Think about that. Our worship should be proportionate to its objects. So if, if our singing is full of apathy and a little murmuring without care, and this tells us something about what we believe about God. He's not that great, <clears throat> so I don't need to praise him that greatly. But when our hearts swell up with a new song, a refreshment in our soul, and we open up our lips and make a joyful noise to the Lord and we sing to him, that shows that he is great and greatly to be praised. 
Some of your greatest sacrifice that you're going to have is by opening your lips and praising. This is sometimes hard for people, but listen to me. We cannot praise Jesus too much. We can't praise Jesus too often. We cannot praise Jesus too carefully. We can't praise him too joyfully. We can't do it because he is great and greatly to be praised. Now, why is he great? Well, I encourage you to go back if you missed last week and listen to that whole sermon about the worth and the greatness of our God. Check it out on iTunes. Check it out on our website. But here's the Cliff Notes version in verses 5 and 6. First, we see that our God has great worth. You see that in verse 5? The psalmist looks out at the, the, the landscape. He looks at all the other gods and all the nations. And he's like, man, all these things are worthless. There's no hope in these things. There's no security. There's no chains being broken. There's no guilt being freed. There's none of that there. If anything, it's being heaped on. And so he's like, they're just worthless. They don't do anything. But then he looks at God and he's thinking, our God has glory. Our God has worth. And he says it in the end of verse 5. Look at a, a glimpse of God's glory. Look at a glimpse of God's worth in the heavens. But the Lord made the heavens. Now this isn't paved streets of gold right here. That's not what he's talking about when he says this. When he says heavens, he's speaking of the skies above us. So when we look up at night and we see the stars in the sky, we see the, the beauty of that. This is a glimpse. It's a glimpse of the glory of God. And when we see that sun go down over the, the water's edge at the beach and we see that sunset, this is a glimpse, a glimpse of the glory of God. And I say a glimpse because when Jesus returns, which he will, when he returns and we see his full splendor and majesty on display, it's going to be amazing. We're going to look and be like, yeah, that sunset, as beautiful as it was, that's nothing compared to God. That's nothing compared to Jesus. Those stars, as glorious as they are, that's nothing compared to the glory of our God and Savior. And so, yes, he has worth. Yes, he's created the heavens. He's created all things. But in verse 6, he says, splendor and majesty are before him. He personifies those two things. His splendor and his majesty, they stand before him. It's like a picture of bodyguards that are standing there in front of the throne of God. And who are those bodyguards? His splendor. His majesty, they're there before him. This is why he's great and greatly to be praised. This is why we lift our voices loud because he is worthy of it. He's the creator of the heavens and the creator of us. And he's full of splendor and majesty. So we gather together, we sing to him. Yes, that will, that will be a part of what we do. We lift up our voices and we sing. But the second thing he tells us in this passage is we don't just sing, but we also bring something as worship to the Lord. We bring something as worship. Did y'all see that? Look at verse 8. It says, bring an offering and come into his courts. Bring something. Bring something. It's fascinating. Verses 7 and 8, three times he uses the word ascribe. I don't use that word often. Maybe you use ascribe all the time. But what that means is to give to bring something and to give. How many times did he tell us to sing in verses one and two? Three times. How many times does he tell us as we gather together to bring? Three times. This is a part of our worship as we gather together. We, we come, like we talked about last week, not as consumers of worship, but as producers of worship. 
We come to worship and to praise God. And so what are you bringing to him as worship? I mean, in our American, Americanized church, we come in and we're like, I'm coming to get something today. I'm coming in to get some new teaching or learning. I'm coming in to get some blessing from God. And God's worth saying, guys, when you gather together, you come and you bring something. What are you bringing to God? What are you bringing to him? I mean, yes, I hope you bring a heart of joy. I hope you bring a mouth of worship. Maybe you bring a gift of generosity. Maybe, maybe you bring a, a heart of forgiveness. What are you bringing? Maybe it's a mind of hospitality to love other people. But our, our, our worship is much more than singing. It's not less than, but it's much more. We also bring something to the glory of God. Now, some of us might think, man, here's God again trying to take stuff from me. Gosh, who's God to do this? God is not asking for that much right here, at least not comparatively. I mean, God is not asking too much for us. He, he commands what we're already giving to other things that are much less important. I mean, we lift our voice to things that are much less. We'll give our money to things that are much less important. We'll give our time and our energy to things that are much less important. Fun things, good things, but much less than our great and glorious God. Uh, I heard, this was several weeks ago now, one of our church members here at, the, at, at West Cabarrus, they have kids that go to Duke University, and before Duke had even made the Final Four, they were selling tickets for the Final Four. And so in order to, to get your tickets that you didn't even know if you were going to get or not, you had to go camp out in line as a student. And so they literally get out there in tents, and they camped for weeks, weeks through rain, through storm. At that time, it was cold. I'm pretty sure they got a winter storm one night, and these students are out there waiting for tickets for maybe possibly going to the Final Four, right? Like, we'll sacrifice of our time and our energy and our effort to watch, to watch a basketball go through a hoop, Right? I love it. I watched it too. I'm just telling you, like, there's something much greater than a ball going through a hoop, right? When we gather together, God is calling us to praise the one who's great, the one who created all things, the one who has splendor and majesty, strength and beauty. That's the one who we're called to praise. And so when it says to, to come here and to sing, man, we will go to a football game and yell and scream at the top of our voice, right? Why? Because some other guy threw a ball to some other guy and he caught it. Right? Can we not come in here and praise the one who rescued us from our sins and eternal damnation to have life and life everlasting? Can we not lift our voices a little bit louder, right, to praise him? Can we not sacrifice of our time to gather around that? I mean, God is not asking us for something that we're not already giving to other things. This is not a big ask. This is God saying this is what ultimately is not just for his glory, but it's for our good. It's for our good. You see, our hearts tend to lean away from the gathering together. We're just, it's so easy to slowly drift away from gathering together. And that's why God gives this command here, come into his courts in Psalm 96. But all throughout the Bible, it's just, it's just sprinkled all throughout God's word, this idea of coming together. But the clearest statement that we can find in all of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 10 says this, let us hold fast. Don't let go. So he's saying, hold on to it fast. Why? Because you're going to be tempted to let it go. It just happens. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. And many of us love to stop there. I'll hold fast to my faith. I've got it. But then look what it says. Hold fast to this too. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. This is a community thing. This is a gathering thing. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our hearts are tempted to move away from this. God knows we desperately need this. And so he repeats it over and over again in his word. And then he says, don't neglect to meet together. And then it even says, do it more so as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of Christ's return. Now, we don't know when Christ is going to return, but I can promise you this. It's closer today than it was yesterday. It's closer today than it was when Hebrews chapter 10 was written. So if they're saying, hey, hold on to this, gathering together is worship, let it strengthen and fuel your faith. At that time, how much more do we need it? God knows that we need it. He knows that we need this gathering in order to strengthen us in love and in good works. There's a TV series that I've really enjoyed. I started binging some of it. It's called Alone. Maybe you've seen this before, but what they do is this is a, an adventure reality show where they get 10 people together and it's self-documented. They put them out in the wilderness where there's nobody else around. These 10 people can't interact with each other. There's nobody else that they come in contact with. And so the goal is to survive out in the wilderness with nothing as long as you possibly can. Now for me, as I'm watching this, I'm starting to analyze it and I'm like, okay, so, so what is this going to be like? I bet you many of them are going to leave because they can't get food. Like it's hard to kind of catch food in the wild and they don't have anything to catch it. So they're probably going to leave because they're getting hungry. Some do. My second thought was many of them are going to get hurt in some form or fashion. They're going to get hurt or get sick. And so they're going to have to go home because they're hurt or they're sick. And some did that, but the majority of people went home for a reason that I didn't even see coming. I was floored by it. A majority of the people go home from that due to loneliness. They're one day or two days in, and these people who I would describe probably as introverts, who you would think, man, they're going to flourish out there. They're like, I can't be alone anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm going crazy. Like, it does something mentally to you. And I'm watching the show, and I'm like, they're just discovering what God already said in Genesis chapter 2. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And, and just two, it's not just talking about marriage, okay? You realize that. Like there's, there's a bigger component of that of community, that we need to be connected with one another. And so God has is, is already told us that this is something important for us. This is good for our souls. This is good for our minds. God tells us to do something that's already good for us. This isn't an oppressive God. This is a loving God calling us to do something for his glory and for our good. And so church, hear me. Let us, this is the application for this point, let us guard our rhythms of gathering to worship Jesus Christ. Let us guard our regular rhythms of gathering to worship Jesus Christ. I don't want to speak to just one part of this. I'm thankful for our live stream. It's a great tool. It's a great resource. Um, we have live stream to, to primarily support and help those who are shut-ins who can't get here. Or in reality, some of us get sick and we're not able to gather and that's it's good to be able to watch online. Or maybe you go on vacation and be able to tune in and stay connected. That is fantastic. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to be a support as different times and seasons of life happen. But hear me say, it is not the primary means in which we gather together as a church. It's not. It's not meant to be. It's, a, it's just a resource. It's just a tool. But it does not replace the gathering together of believers. And so hear me say, even if you're tuning online, we need you here. God's word even says that you need to be here. And so we want you to be here. We want you to lift your voice together with us. We want you to be able to be here so we can encourage you and you can encourage us. 
And so take that step of faith, not to lean and rely on live stream, but to use live stream at the right times to keep you connected to the body. This passage doesn't just tell us to gather, though. It doesn't just tell us to gather and to worship God, but also tells us to go. It also tells us to go. Our everyday worship is shared as we go. It's strengthened as we gather together. It's shared as we go out in our community. And just like the gathering of worship throughout this passage is all woven in there, it's sprinkled throughout, the greatness of our God and our call to, to share his name and his fame is spread throughout this entire passage as well. And I love how it describes it in verse, uh, verse 2. Um, it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. In verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. This is our call to go. This is one verse among many of why it matters that we hear from our missionaries and why it matters that we have people leaving our church to go on the mission field. Why it matters that when you give to the church, we use that money to support the ministry and mission that's happening, yes, in our city, but also around the world. I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to come to this church in the first place. I mean, more than 20% of our budget is going to missions. Praise God for that. Praise God. And it's because of God's call right here to declare his salvation from day to day. This is an amazing truth. You see, some of us are like, Ryan, you're asking me to add stuff to my calendar. I don't have time for another night to like get together and to go share my faith. Good, that's not what it's asking you to do here. I'm glad you don't. It says from day to day. That means in your daily life, your life is meant to be lived on mission. While you are going, you're displaying and sharing the greatness and the glory of God. So this is not addition to your, your calendar. This is intersection. What is your passion? What are you doing with your life? How are you living and sharing the gospel day to day as you live your life? So if you're a soccer mom, awesome. Be a soccer mom to the glory of Jesus Christ. Love on those other moms that are in the soccer mom group. And when they go through hard times, you point them to hope. When they're hopeless, you show them the hope that you have. If you're like, well, I work in a banking job. I, I work in the, then, then work in the bank to the glory of God. And we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, what it means to work for God. But be intentional. Invite your coworkers out. Be generous. Pay for their lunch. Tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. They're going to see it if you're living for him. If you're speaking about him, if you love him, they're going to see that in your life. Whatever you're doing day to day, do it for the glory of God. This is not addition. This is intersection. And this is the heartbeat of our God, that we would live a life as worship, everyday worship. See, it's not just the series of Sunday morning worship. That's not the title of the series. It's everyday worship, that every part of our lives would worship God. Now, what are we supposed to be speaking? What are we supposed to be doing as we go? He tells us in verse 3, two things. Declare his glory. Declare his glory among the nations. The second thing, his marvelous works to all people. Declare how great and glorious our God is. The peace that he gives us because we know who he is. He is the one who has all things in control because he is a sovereign God. And we rest in that. We don't worry in that. We rest in that truth. And we share that truth of why we're not worried. It's because we trust in the one who is most glorious and in control. We look at his marvelous works, the marvelous works. Our God, all throughout the Old Testament, the, the greatest work he's doing is rescuing. He's rescuing people throughout the entire Old Testament. 
This is the heartbeat of our God, that he's a redeemer, that he's a rescuer. And there's no greater picture of this rescuing work than what we find in Jesus Christ. The one who left his home, he came as a missionary, right, to our earth in order to share the good news that we could have hope. This is the greatest work that he did, the greatest saving work. He died on the cross for our sins in our place. And then he defeated that sin and that curse as he went into the tomb and he rose again. This is the, the, the glorious, marvelous works that we're declaring as we live our lives for God. This is one of the things that I'm actually most excited about as we look forward to our sports camp for our kids. Because this year what we're doing is we're looking back at those Old Testament stories about how God rescues and redeems and showing that those are just a shadow of what is to come in Jesus Christ. Those are just a shadow of what Jesus did as he rescued us, not from slavery or not from a lion's den, but from the very thing that would kill and destroy our souls. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm grateful for that. But this is what God is calling us to do, to declare his majesty, declare his glory, declare his works to all peoples. And this passage also shows the urgency of this message. And please pay attention to this. This is important. The urgency of our message to share the gospel is so important because you see in verse 13 that there is a, there's a finish line, there's a deadline, there's an expiration date on when we're going to be able to share. In verse 13, it says that he's coming to judge that our God is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Jesus came the first time to to live a humble life and to die on the cross in our place. And then he rose and he ascended as he defeated death from the grave. But he's coming back again. When he comes back again, he's coming with a sword in his hand and he's going to execute judgment. That's what he's going to do. And so there's an urgency of the message. We don't know when he's coming, but we know that he's coming again. And so we have to share this good news. We have to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because there are people who are not ready for that day. There may be people in this room or online that are not ready for that day. May may we look at this moment and realize there's a sense of urgency to believe in this message because there is no second chances when that time comes. There's not a time where it's be like, oh man, maybe I messed up. Maybe I should believe it. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I did. No, it's too late. The time is now. The invitation is extended now as Christ extends this grace through us as we share the good news, the, the, the gospel of salvation from day to day. And so may we be faithful to share this good news because there's an urgency behind it. There's an urgency. And so for, for every Christian in this room, everyone who says, I'm a follower of Christ, I want to give you an application of three things wrapped up in one word. Let me challenge you to bow. Let me challenge you to bow. And what I mean by that is first, would you look to God and would you pray, Jesus, would you give me boldness? Would you give me boldness to declare your work of salvation from day to day? Be honest, that's some of the reason why we don't. There's some insecurity in us. There's some fear in us. What are we going to say? How are we going to say it? Would you just pray, God, give us, give me boldness that I would declare it from day to day. See what God will do. See what God will do as you faithfully pray each day for boldness to declare this from day to day. Second, opportunities. Would you look for opportunities to share the gospel? I believe there are many opportunities right before our eyes and we don't open them to see because we're too busy looking at our mission and our desire and our will and our way. We're not looking at what God's doing around us. God's on mission. He has been since the beginning of the fall. 
He's seeking and searching those who don't know him. And so there are people in our lives, our everyday lives, our day-to-day lives, in which he would say, that's a person I brought into your life for a reason. That's a person I brought into your life for you to build a friendship with, that you would love them, that you would be faithful to share with them the gospel of God. I mean, if you can meet somebody and live a year and then never hear about your passion of God, when that's supposed to be your foundation and your Lord, then I don't know how well we're loving them. Just don't. So may we be bold. May we look for those opportunities. And then lastly, may we pray for wisdom in these conversations. May we pray for wisdom. Some of us are like, I might mess this up. I don't know what to say or the right timing or how to say it. Then ask God, give me wisdom in this area. He tells us in his word that if we lack wisdom to ask, he'll give it to us. And some of us are sitting here thinking, I want to speak truth, but I want to speak it in love. I don't know how to do that. And yet we've never taken time to, to pray, God, give us wisdom. We've never taken time to sit down and think, how do I speak this truth in love with, with wise words? And so we just don't do it. We don't, we don't look for boldness. We don't look for opportunities. We don't try to speak in wisdom. And so if we are going to take the gospel, like God is commanding us to do, from neighborhoods to nations, it's going to start here. Would you pray and would you seek just as God has sought you out? And don't think that ah, my life's too small, it really doesn't matter. God is using you in a part of a bigger story. Don't think that my little really doesn't do much because you don't know what God's going to do with that little. You don't. I close with this. David Platt, who's a former leader of the International Mission Board, which is the largest sending agency in the world, uh, one that we support and thankful for. But he was sharing a story about a guy that he knew on the other side of the world that was faithfully going and sharing the good news of, of the gospel with other people. And he's on the city streets one day and he was interacting with a guy and he was telling him about Jesus. And he got his Bible out and he was showing him different verses. And the guy that he's talking to says, can I hold that, can I hold that, first, that book for a second? He's like, sure. So he looks at it and he's like, man, those are really nice pages. He's like, you know what I could do with those pages? I, I, could, I could make some really nice cigarettes with those pages. Um, what, what I need to do, get a Bible. And uh, the guy's like, all right, I'll make a deal with you. I will give you my Bible if you promise to read every page before you smoke it. And the guy was like, deal, deal. This is great, this is great, so I'll, I'll do this. Now this guy is sharing this. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see this guy again. He doesn't know if this is going to do anything. He doesn't know. In that moment, he's like, I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to be bold. I'm just trying to be faithful, right? A few weeks went by, and he's going down the street again, and this guy, same guy from before, runs up. His face, his countenance has changed. And he runs up, and he's like, man, this is unbelievable. That, that book you gave me? He's like, yeah. He's like, all right, I, I started in, in this, this book. It said Matthew. And I started, I started reading it. And then I turned it into my cigarette, and I smoked it, and I kept reading and reading. Read through Matthew, then I went to this, the next one, and I read through Mark, and I read through Luke. And then, and then I, I got to, to John, and as I was smoking my way through John, I get to John, he didn't say John chapter 3, but he said, I got to this verse that, that said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but would have eternal life. He said, man, that changed me. I believe. I believe that truth. Guys, it, it is the same for us. Many of us think that what we do and what we say and the little impact we have doesn't matter, and it does. You don't know what God can do. You don't know what God might use you for. You don't know. 
But don't think that my life doesn't matter. God has called you to live on mission for him and to worship him by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So may we go. And for others of us that we hear that, maybe you're thinking, I don't know this Jesus, but that verse speaks to me that he would love me so much that he would go for me, that he would come for me, that he would die in my place to save me. Then believe in him today. And know when you believe in him, you've moved from the being rescued to a part of the rescue team. This is what God does in and through us as we look to him. So church family, let us gather faithfully in order to have our faith strengthened. And may we go that the name and fame of God may be seen to the ends of the earth. Bow your head with me. Father, thank you that you use the small and the weak to do great things. And I pray for us as a church that you would give us boldness. God, that you would give us opportunities to share the good news. God, that you would give us wisdom. Wisdom that we uh, don't even think we have right now, but Lord, we look to you, the God of all wisdom, and we ask that you would give us wisdom. Lord, may we gather together faithfully and go on mission faithfully for you. Because Lord, this is what you call us to do. This is what you call us to do. And Lord, I pray for those in this room right now who have never taken that step of faith to believe, let alone go. God, would you help them to take that step of faith, open up their eyes to see your splendor and your majesty. For you are great and you're greatly to be praised. And Lord, may you save them today. May you save them today as they pray to you. May you seek and save them. God, help us as a church be faithful to gather and to sing and to bring and to be faithful as we go. To your name we pray. Amen. Church family, let's stand now and let's sing as he calls us to.